Act one, scene one. The traitor bargains. Jesus said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be betrayed and delivered up to be crucified. The chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the place of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him up to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. We will eat the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve and said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to one another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand into the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had never been born. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessing it. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and they began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. 
remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very, very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. So Judas, having procured the band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. He drew near to Jesus and to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And he came up to Jesus at once and says, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to him, I am he. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, he drew, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that had been spoken. One of, the, of those you have given me, I have lost not one. They came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But now then should the scripture but how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then all the disciples left him and fled. 
So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be prudent that one man should die for all the people. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me, who have heard what I've said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answered the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now the chief of priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At least two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? I beseech you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. And they spit on his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Now the servants and the officers who had made a charcoal fire Because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. Then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, This man was also with him. But he denied it saying, Woman, I I do not know him. And when he went out into the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too was a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know who or what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And then Peter went out and wept bitterly. And when morning came, 
All the chief priests and the elders and the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and they led him away and they delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And as they led him to their counsel, they demanded him, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you? the Son of God then? And he said to them, you have said that I am. And then they said, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves his own, from his own lips. Then when Judas, the betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. And he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since this is blood money. So they took counsel and Brought with them the potters, bought them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. That then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but they but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the words that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. So Pilate entered into his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others tell you to say it about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. And when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. And he was hoping to see some of the signs done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, they sent him back to Pilate and Herod. And Herod Herod sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other. That very day, for before this, they had been at enmity with each other. While Pilate was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. And Pilate said to them, You have a custom that I should release for you one man at the Passover. Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And they called out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And Pilate answered them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers led him away inside the palace. And they called together the whole battalion. And the soldiers twisted together at the crown of thorns. And they put it on his head and arrayed him in purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out and again said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. For I have no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law you ought to die, because he was made himself the Son of God. Then Pilate heard this statement. He was even more afraid. He entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, 
Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you by my Father above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? And they said and answered, we have no king but Caesar. And when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And the people answered, May his blood be on us and be on our children. And he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And, and they kept mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes and led him away to be crucified. And as they led him away, they seized one called Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. And they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when he, they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And they crucified the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said. Before we dive into the actual sermon for tonight, I, I, I want to clarify something. It, it will be short tonight. Uh, it, it really has very little to do with eloquent words or preparation. Um, that, that's why we just did what we just did, is the story speaks for itself, as you just heard. What I'm going to examine with you tonight is the seven statements that we hear from Jesus on the cross, the seven things that he said as he was there. And so just bear with me. Um, Trust me, um, 
nothing that we're doing or saying tonight is done out of a desire to just be brash or um, edgy or anything like that. It has very little to do with that. It has everything to do with helping us understand exactly how it was, because the bottom line is this, is that we are very, very far removed from understanding this thing called crucifixion. Our culture doesn't understand it. We're far, far away from it, whereas at this time when Jesus lived, people would have been very, very aware of it. Crucifixion was something that existed openly and publicly. The place where people were crucified would be the equivalent to people being crucified in places like City Market, the side of the road, in front of schools. Those were the areas where it would have been done. And so my hope tonight is not just to shock you, but is to bring us to a realization of what our God went through. And if you're far from him, what I mean by that is, is he is not your God and you do not claim him to be God, that you'll see why we take this so seriously, why this matters so much, okay? All we know before Jesus was led away to be crucified is that it says that he was scourged. What we know from that is basically this, is that um, he was beaten severely. Uh, and, and what I mean by this is that um, the, the, the man, Jesus, would have had his hands tied above his head. He would have been bent down over um, some form of log. And they would have used what they refer to as a cat of nine tails, which w had several strips of leather that came off of the whip. It had metal balls braided into it. And at the very end, it would have things like metal hooks and fish bone and things along that line. The point of that was, was that the metal balls would hit the skin prior to the fish bones and the hooks, so it would tenderize the meat as you would tenderize a steak. And then the hooks would hook in, and then they would make sure it was in really solidly. And then they would rip. And they would do this repeatedly. Um, many people didn't make it out of this phase because the contusions that the body would receive would be so intense that many would die before, <laughs> but, but before they even got to be crucified. In, in some extreme cases, history tells us that it was so bad that it would actually hook into a rib, and when they pulled, a rib would fly out as well. Jesus then, as we know from the story, was wrapped in a purple robe. And you have to understand that the book of Isaiah clearly tells us that this man, this Jesus, would have been beaten beyond recognition, as the prophet told 700 years prior. Which means if you knew him as you know me, and I was in that place, you would not be able to recognize me after that. And we haven't even arrived to the crucifixion yet. They wrapped him in the purple robe, stuck a crown of thorns on his head. As a sign of mockery, that was not custom 
That was something special for Jesus that they did to mock him. Now we know that later, before he was given his crossbar to carry, they took off his robe, which would have dried, and the blood would have been hardened, and then they ripped it off of his body, which just would have increased, increased the pain that he went through. After that, they would have given him a crossbar, which is a used piece of wood. You have to understand that wood of this kind that they used on the cross was expensive at the time and was hard to come by. So this was not a fresh piece of wood. This was a piece of wood that they would have used to have crucified other men on. Crucifixion at this time was primarily reserved for men. It, it, it was so barbarous that, that, that it was very uncommon for a woman to be crucified. Because even a culture as violent as this couldn't stand to see the look on a woman's face. And usually if they were crucified, they would crucify them backwards, facing the cross so they didn't have to look at them. So Jesus was given his crossbar, which they strapped to him. He was a young man. He was strong. We know that he was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. And he attempted to carry his cross. And what the Bible tells us is this, is that as he tried, he couldn't do it. He fell. And the Bible tells us that a man named Simon came alongside and helped him. When he arrived to the site where he was to be crucified, they would have laid him flat onto the cross and they would have taken a nail and a hammer which he himself as a carpenter had used so many times. And he watched it go through what are some of the most sensitive nerve-ending parts of your body, your hands, and your feet. And they would have nailed him to the cross and when they stood him up, there's a pre-dug hole that would have existed. And they would have dropped him into the hole, and his body would have shook violently. The pain would have been excruciating. The word excruciating comes from crucifixion. The pain that was felt from cruci crucifixion. Many at this point, while still awake and able to speak, would yell profanities at the crowd. It was their last chance to do that. It was their last chance to yell at them. In, in, in some very extreme cases, because usually they were naked, they would try to urinate on the crowd and do whatever they could to bother the crowd. But we know that our Jesus did not do any of that so that he remained silent. Now, it was a gruesome sight, and you have to understand that the worst of the worst would come out to watch this. At a point, the man, becoming, man being crucified could become incontinent, and there would be a pile of blood, sweat, feces, Urine all at the foot of the cross. And people would sit there to watch and yell at them. 
That's what your God went through. Now, just being honest, when I examine this story, trust me, this has not been a fun week. You, you have to understand that the staff here has not had a fun week preparing this. But you must know that this is good news. It sounds insane, but it is good. And we'll explain that. We have to understand that I spent the whole week just reading and studying this, and it just broke me down so many times. I'm not that worried about crying tonight because I've done enough of it. Poor Ryan has been working on the photos that you're seeing, looking at this all day long. We do not take this lightly. So, what are the seven statements from the cross? They're some of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. We get to first see Jesus' love for us even after we put him through the torment that he just went through. We, the, the first verse we're going to look at is Jesus expressing real unconditional love. And that is something in our culture we take so for granted. We talk about love. These next words are the greatest expression of love in the world. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, it says this as Jesus is hanging from the cross. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide up his garments. Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, hanging on the cross, says, in this moment, after all of this has just happened and it's not even done yet, says, Father, forgive them for what they do. All of a sudden, when we understand this, everything else seems to clear away, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden, you aren't entitled to anything. Because what you need to understand is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he left his rightful place in heaven for that. And he forgives while he is in that position. It is nothing short of a miracle. But we call it God. Next we see Jesus encounter his mother. I'll read it. John chapter 19, verses 26 through 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Jesus looks down on his mother who, who gave birth to him, the Virgin Mary, the same mother that would have counted his toes and his fingers so many times as a baby. And she sees her boy on the cross with those same fingers and same toes, but so different because there's a nail right through them. I can't imagine what she went through. And I'm not a parent yet. 
But don't miss it. He looks at John, his friend, his follower, and says, John will take care of you, Mom. He's a good pastor. That is the call to all men. I I would like to say that I would be that man that Jesus would look down on and say, you take care of my mom. Men, are you that man? And I, I don't know if you are, and some of you in here may be tonight, but I have, I have, if you're anything like me, I would guess that you're probably not. But there's good news coming. That through Jesus' righteousness, from what he did on the cross, when he gives it to us, as we're going to look at more in a minute, it, it, you can have this righteousness imparted to you, men, given over to you to lead well, so that you can be trusted with the most important things in the world, such as a, your best friend's mom. It's a beautiful example. When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't alone. There's two other men next to him, two criminals. And what we know from the Bible is this is that a bit of an argument broke out between them, which I don't understand because from what I understand, this would be so painful. I don't know how you even talked, let alone argued. But one of them was hurling insults at Jesus, saying things like, oh, you're God? Well, why don't you get yourself down from here? Do something about this. Free us too. Well, you're really God and you're sitting on a cross, which, you know, I mean, we can look at him in all honesty and go, man, look at that guy. What a jerk. But in all honesty, if you were hanging there next to him, next to God, I don't know if I would be any different to say, are you really God? Look at you. You look just like me. But the other one, was astounded with Jesus' love in this moment, was blown away that he wasn't yelling the insults that the other men would always do. And he quieted the other man. And we see in Luke chapter 23, 43, the, resp- the response to his question that he asked Jesus. He says, Jesus, take me with you. I believe that you're God. And says this, and here's what Jesus said back to him. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Listen, this is the greatest piece of scripture for understanding that you do not ever have to clean up before you can accept him. That Jesus does not have some, some bar up here that you need to get to before you can receive his grace. Because here was a man nailed to the cross and he had no time anywhere to ever do anything right. 
He was going to die shortly. And he's walking around in heaven today. You need to know this, and some of you need to be set free from this. God loves you where you are. Now, it's not okay to stay jacked up. He wants to work through you and redeem you. And we call it a regenerated heart. And what that means is renew you continuously throughout life. Nobody in the kingdom of God is done. We are works in process. I have proven that this week that I am not done. So many times. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Just imagine the peace that he must have felt. I don't know what he did, but we know it's bad enough to die for it because he says that we deserve to be here. He was not a good man. But it's not about being good. It's about faith and faith alone. Next we see what we refer to a lot of times here in this church as the great exchange. And that's stolen from Martin Luther directly. I'll read you the verse. Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sebachthane. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll, I'll be honest with you all. For many years, I really didn't understand this passage. I didn't know what happened here. It confused me because how, how this is God. How is he being forsaken? And, here is, and, and here's where the good news starts to really unfold. Because up to this point, it had been about Jesus comforting. Had it not? In his statements that we've examined? And now we start to see the gospel unfold. Because what's happening at this moment, we call it the great exchange because this is exactly what it is, is in this moment, the wrath, yes, wrath that you and I deserve for our sins is being poured out on Jesus. Our sins are being dumped upon him. Jesus Christ became you at your very worst moment in that moment. The worst thing you have ever done plus everything else you've ever sinned in. Jesus Christ, in that moment, became a rapist. Became a thief, a murderer, a liar. He became all of these things, and he was so vile and repulsive that God the Father himself turned his back on God the Son and that may sound harsh. You need to understand something. There, there's, there's a lot of debate out there over wh whether or not this is good or not. It's, it's been referred to as cosmic child abuse, and that is not what it is. Because what it was, is Jesus is very clear earlier in Scripture when he says, 
Nobody kills me. I lay down my life willingly. Because he knew that the blood of goats and lambs would never suffice for our sins. And he said, I will be the lamb. Which, whose blood will be shed for you. He took it willingly. It was not forced on him. You need to understand that. And God turned his back on him as he should have turned it on us. But because of this, you have to see, here's where the good news unfolds. Because because of this, God can look on you and accept you because of this if you believe this. Because of this, you are made right before God. Because he should be turning his back on you. But no, those who believe and call on the name of Jesus are set free from the bondage of sin and are made as white as snow as which we are very familiar with today. We don't deserve it if you're sitting here saying, absolutely not, it's so ridiculous. But that's why it's so beautiful. Nobody could have made this up. This is insane. John 19, 28 says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was not finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. He said, I thirst. Two reasons why this is important. One is it shows that he was 100% man and 100% God. He was thirsty. The second thing is it was to fulfill scripture. The prophecies that were laid out for Jesus, he fulfilled them down to the most minor prophecy. He's quoting here Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. He's quoting David, which was a prophecy from him said that he would thirst. Jesus did this to fulfill prophecy because he was here to prove once and for all that he was not just a good man. He was not just a good teacher. He was God. He was God who the scriptures had been pointing towards. And he fulfilled them all, even down to the smallest prophecy of him being thirsty. Two more statements. John 19.30. When Jesus had received his sour wine, he said in a loud voice, It is finished. It is finished. What was finished? All that he had come to do. You have to understand that Jesus came around. He did a lot of great things to prove a lot of things, to fulfill prophecy. But the main point of Jesus coming was to get to that. That was his laser focus. That was his intention. It was always to get to the cross. And it was finished in this moment. And you know what's so wild about this? Is it is in the moment when Jesus Christ looks like he is down. It looks like he is beaten. Satan is rejoicing. Demons are excited. 
Jesus knows that his words, it is finished, it does not mean that it is finished at all. It means that sin has been removed from those who will believe in him and that, he, and that God is going to be sending the third party, the, the Holy Spirit, to fall on these people. And amazing things are going to happen. It's just the beginning. But he's saying, Satan, it is finished. My people are set free. They do not have to live in the bondage of sin anymore. How many of us in here tonight need to know that? Did you know that sin is dead? It's dead. We, we as a people, and it drives me insane because I'm right there with you, we continuously let a dead foe beat us. People of God are set free. And he yelled out, it is finished. All that he had come to do, almost done. He has one more statement. Luke 23, verse 46. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last, and God died. Jesus Christ died. It is greatly important that you know that, that he did not get removed from that cross alive. We examined it last week in church as we looked at the gospel. It says that he was buried. You don't bury people who aren't dead. Jesus died because he had to. The atonement for sin had to be death. Good Friday is good because your sins have been atoned for. That's why it's good. That's because you've been set free. And when he says, Father, receive my spirit, Again, he's quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 31.5. I find it very interesting, and I don't think it's a coincidence, that the last words that come out of Jesus Christ's mouth are scripture. That he quotes the Bible, that God himself quotes the Bible as his last words. Listen to me, you need to understand something, that this book is not just some random thing that some guys put together. This is the holy inspired word of God that even Jesus Christ in that moment is quoting. And I think it's so absurd that I have to sit here and beg some of us to read it. It should be so freeing. He says, receive my spirit because he's going home to the Father. And listen, Sunday is right around the corner. 
And that's when we worship God as he is now, not as he was. On Sunday, we'll be worshiping him as the triumphant Savior who who conquered sin, Satan, and death once and for all. He will not be like that effort again. You need to know that, that he is not going to do this again. This was once and for all. The call on you as a believer, I'm speaking to believers specifically here, is you need to know the cross. There is a reason it is the crown jewel of our faith is because Jesus Christ is the king of taking the ugly. He is the king of taking the reviled. He is the king of taking the things that nobody else in the world wants. He's the king of taking things that we can't even really look at without crying and turning them into the most beautiful thing that the world has ever seen that we'll wear them around our neck and put them on our bumpers. It's crazy. Christians, you need to know what your Savior did for you. You need to know how deep his love runs. And here's the crazy thing, is that in 1 John, it tells us that even when we try to do our best of understanding this love, we don't even get it. So may you sit in that a little bit tonight. It's not a game, folks. I don't know, like, I can't beg you after this, okay? I can't beg you to take this seriously. I can't beg you to live this in your life. I can't beg you to make this more than just a Sunday faith, which we say so often. If that's not enough, then I don't have words to do it. For those of you who don't believe in this God, you may think we are weird and insane, and I get it because I was there. September 16th of 2000 when I accepted Christ. And I thought you Christians were the weirdest people I had ever seen in my life. And you are. I say it all the time. The story ends with him riding in on a white horse out of the clouds. It's odd. But no that whether you believe in the Bible or not, this happened. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to argue with anybody about whether or not whales can eat people or dinosaurs existed. My question for you tonight is, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with him? Because he is very real. And we believe that he is Lord and we more than believe we know. And I can't even explain that to you. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to play a few songs. The altar's open. It's a little different tonight than normal. We have the cup and the bread up here at the foot of the cross. And this is reserved for those who believe in Jesus. Let me explain why. As if it needs explaining. This bread represents Jesus' body, which is broken for us. 
And the cup of juice represents his blood that was shed for your sins to cover over them and make you new, make you whole, make you righteous, make you holy, make you complete. So as you come tonight, come on your own time. Take it. You can come as a family. You can come as friends. You can come as, as people alone. You, you, you can take your time. You, and, and, and you know what? It's okay if you're just not there tonight as a believer. That's an okay thing. This time is reserved for confession and repentance, which is a good thing. For us saying, God, I'm so sorry that I keep letting a dead sin winning in my heart and I'm sorry I'm going to stop trying so hard and start relying on your Holy Spirit to move in me we're not going to do a typical altar call as we do normally where where we'd ask you to come forward to receive Christ what what, what we're going to do is Tom's going to be up here I'm going to be around if you want to pray with one of us we'll be here but if you've accepted Christ, which basically means that you, you see this man and you know that he's more than a man, you know that he's God, and that you want to make him Lord of your life, and you confess that in your heart and speak that with your mouth, you are saved. And I would encourage you, if that's you tonight and you do that, to take the Lord's Supper for the first time as a believer in Jesus, knowing what that sacrifice means. So us as a people, we're going to stand and we're going to sing songs and we're going to celebrate his goodness. We're going we're gonna to eat and we're going to drink because we're thankful. Let me pray. God, you are good. Thank you for Good Friday. Thank you for the atoning sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for these people sitting here on a Friday night hearing this. God, I pray that any areas where I was insufficient or wrong, that your word will speak truth through that, that your Bible will go out and go out in power. God, may you empower your believers in here to know the sacrifice of your son and, and, and not to be playing games with that anymore, but to know that there's a world out there that needs it, that needs your love. God, let us be a people that go out and let the grace that you have draw them near. Not our wise words, not our cool programs, but your grace and your grace alone draw, it in. draw them in, Lord. Lord, I pray for those that are far from you that maybe they may come tonight and find salvation in your cross and know that they, need, they can stop trying because it's done. As your son said, it is finished. Amen.
Oh, the wonderful 
grace draw near and bless your name. Never knew death could be so sweet. I never knew surrender could feel so free. I've never seen such meekness in majesty. That the blood of Jesus was bled for me. Now I see freedom for all of my days it's only by the power of the cross i'm raised the king of glory rescued me how beautiful the blood flow how merciful the love showed the king Victorious are we now, yeah, yeah. 
never knew these nails would love unfold. Never knew these wounds would heal my soul. Never seen such beauty and sorrow meet. That the blood of Jesus was bled for me. And now I see freedom for all of my days. It's only by the power of the cross I'm raised. The King of glory rescued me. What a name for the Son of God you came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Scoffing rude in my place, 
guilty by and helpless we spotless of God is he for atonement can it be hallelujah what a savior lifted up was he to die cross I cling with suffering I do retreat of its work I do see frauded my Savior both bruised and crushed show that Draw me gently to my knees. 
Thank you for coming. Just so you know, this is only half of the good news. The rest of it is on Sunday. I'd encourage you to be in a Bible-believing church where you can hear the resurrection preached. We'd love for you to be here with us. Know that there is more good news to come. If you heard it appropriately, you may be wondering, is that even possible? And it is because um, something even more glorious happens Sunday morning. We love you guys more than you know, I promise. You're dismissed. Just so you know, uh, we, we have to set up the baptismal and stuff tonight because people are getting baptized on Sunday morning, and that's a good thing. If you're willing to stick around and help us out with that, we greatly appreciate that. But if you're with your family and you got to go and stuff, we totally understand that's fine too. If a couple people would be willing to do that, it'd be greatly appreciated. We love you guys. Services on Sunday morning, one at 10 a.m. and the second at 8 p.m. Yes, 8 o'clock at night, that's correct, on Sunday. We love you guys. Have a good night.